Well, good morning. We are gathering together to, to again to come before God's Word as we've come before Him in worship. I want to encourage you to find a, a New Testament letter. A New Testament letter we know is First Peter. First Peter toward the back of the uh, New Testament. We started last week a brand new series. Uh, uh, just I kind of trying to ask and answer the question: What does it look like? What does it look like for you and I to live as, as followers of Christ, uh, as those who have been uh, born into a living hope, as Peter would say, in a world that is oftentimes very chaotic, in a world that at times is even openly hostile toward God's design and God's ways of living? For it was just such people that Peter was originally writing to. People who were undergoing persecution for their faith. People who were uh, being jailed, who were being ostracized, sometimes even uh, put to death because they were a follower of Jesus Christ. And he was writing to encourage them, writing to instruct them, writing to to point them to a hope uh, that they could live out, even in a very difficult and challenging situation. And we want to learn from Peter's words, and particularly today, uh, just his challenge uh, for us to, to live uh, distinctly and to live uh, differently along the way. I heard about a, a brother and sister, and maybe maybe you can identify. The sister was the older sibling, the brother just a, a little bit younger, and they kind of had some church background, and uh, the sister had uh, come to a point of kind of stepping across the line of faith, and in her words, she had asked Jesus into her heart. And so the little brother has taken all this in, and he's kind of taken note, and, and they're kind of going along, and life's kind of like life is with siblings and stuff. And one day they were kind of playing in the same room, and the sister didn't like something the little brother had done, and she took one of the toys in her hands and just hauled off and hit him in the back of the head. Just bang, right? And maybe you can identify uh, with that as the giver or the receiver or the observer of such behavior along the way. The little boy kind of crying, you know, he's hurt. He's, what did you do? So I thought Jesus lived in your heart. She said, he does, but he's sleeping right now. (laughs) And sometimes we kind of feel that way. Somebody, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, the little boy kind of instinctively knew something ought to be different. Something ought to be different in your life. If truly you are connected to Jesus Christ. That's what Peter was challenging these readers of this letter to live out. This call to be different. He puts it in these words in verses 14 and 16 that we are called to be holy to be holy. Look with me if you would 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
Now, a lot of times when reading a call to be holy, some images start to come to mind. Some of us almost immediately reject that because holy seems like so far away from where we are. Or maybe we even recoil from that a little bit because we hear holy and we think kind of this saintly person up on a shelf and and, and not living in the real world and, and that sort of thing. And so we have all this mixture of images and ideas when it comes to this thing called holy. But at its core, holy means to be set apart. It means to be distinct or different. God is holy, holy, holy. He is holy other. He is set apart. He is distinct from his creation. There is a uniqueness about him. And as those who were created in his image and by those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, who have been born, as Peter said, to a living hope, we are to be different. We are to to live differently in the world. We are to, to live with a distinction in the world. But still, as we unpack that, it's kind of like, well, what, what does that mean exactly? And maybe one of the better ways to understand holiness is to, is to think of it as, as two sides of, of a coin, two aspects of holiness. The negative, and maybe that's the one that comes to mind uh, most uh, readily, is to be separated from sin. That if I am holy, there are some things that just aren't going to be a part of my life. And skip down to just the beginning of chapter 2 because it's kind of all in this section we're going to look at this morning. But at the first verse of chapter 2, he kind of talks about that negative aspect of holiness. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, that's obviously not an extensive list of everything we are to put apart uh, or put out of our lives, but, but it is this, it's this beginning, and it, it typifies the negative aspect of holiness. There are some things that shouldn't be a part of our life. They shouldn't be a part of our life because they dishonor God. They shouldn't be a part of our life because they, they, they destroy us. They damage relationships. They, they, they ruin uh, life uh, as God intended it to be. And, and so, to be holy is say, I'm going to separate from those things, the the negative things. Those aren't to be a part of my life because of what they do to God, what they do to myself, what they do to others. But the other side of that coin, the other aspect of holiness is a positive, and that is to be consecrated to God, that we are to be set apart to this sense that I belong to God. My life is not my own. I have been bought with the price. I belong to him. My life is to be set apart to him. It is consecrated to him. I come to that understanding that, that, that my life isn't about me, uh, but, it, but it really is about him. And the more I begin to understand that and live out of that, the more I can begin to live the life that he designed and created me to live. And so that's kind of the central calling of this section of this letter, to be holy because he is holy, to be set apart because he is set apart, to be distinct because he is distinct, to be one who 
who is separated from sin negatively because he is the one who is without sin, but also to be consecrated to his purposes, his direction, the things that he wants to accomplish in and through our lives. And then what Peter kind of does around verses 14 to 16 is unpacks some ways that we can move toward that, some ways that we can begin to take up this challenge to be different, some things that you and I can intentionally do to choose to be different. And I just want to kind of lift five of these uh, out of the text here this morning. And the first is a kind of a reminder of what he's already talked about in the first section of this letter that we looked at last week, is focusing on forever. I will choose to be different by focusing on forever. Let's back up to verse 13. Therefore, as he's just unpacked, we looked at last week, this, this great salvation that we have, this living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. In light of that, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, let's pause there. He's he's telling us that there's some things that that we need to focus on, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded. Some of the translations even have kind of that that root word behind it of girding up uh, your your mind. It's that idea of someone who had a a robe. If they were getting ready to move uh, rapidly or run or carry a great distance, they might uh, pick it up. They might tie it up, gird it up so that they would be free to move in much the same way to, 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 to so focus your mind. Focus on the, what is yet to come. Let your hope be fully on the grace that will be brought to you. You've begun to be born again into that living hope, but there's still a fullness of that yet to come at the, at the full revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying focus on forever. Focus on that which is going to be around forever. And it's much the same thing that Paul and so many of the other New Testament writers picked up. One example of that's Paul's writing to the Philippians. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Why? Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Paul is saying the same thing that Peter's saying, choose your focus. Those who set their minds on earthly things end up not living lives of distinction. In fact is, what eventually happens is their God is their belly. They, they kind of live for short-term comfort and short-term pleasure. They, they begin to glory in their shame. They end up living as an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's not the life that God has called us to. That's not the life that brings about His blessing and His best in our lives. We are to live lives of holiness set apart unto Him, and that is fueled when we understand that we were made for forever. The psalmist said, O Lord, make me to know my end 
And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Now, I know there, there are times, and particularly at different seasons in our life, uh, we, we, we maybe don't feel like uh, life's fleeting. Maybe it seems like it's not going fast enough. But then you get in those seasons where you realize it's moving so quickly, so rapidly. And whether you live 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 or 100 years or more on this earth, it's fleeting. It's a vapor. It's, it's a mist. It's going to be gone quicker than you could ever, ever imagine. And so what Peter reminds us of, what Paul reminds us of, what the psalmist reminds us of is that this life is preparation for eternity. That this life I'm living, this isn't all there is. It isn't just about uh, these few moments, but what I do in these moments has ramifications for all eternity. And I'm going to be, live a life of distinction. I'm going to be fueled to live that life when I focus not just on the moment, but on forever. When I make decisions against the backdrop of forever. When I focus on forever, it changes the way that I live today. And part of focusing on forever is remembering my accountability, remembering my accountability. So verses 14, 16, he talked about being living holy. He bookends that with the focusing on forever, that revelation that we're going to fully understand, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Remember, he, he used the words in the opening word that you're, you're an exile. You're kind of this resident alien. You're just passing through in this life. And when we do, we remember our accountability. We remember this, this judgment that is yet to come into my life. Again, let's, let's bookend that and compare that with what Paul wrote. He wrote to the Corinthians, now if anyone builds on the foundation the foundation of, of grace, the foundation of new life that is only possible through Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on that foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Paul is saying exactly what Peter's saying, that there is an evaluation of my life. There is an accountability for what I did with the one and only life that God has entrusted to me. Uh, again, let's just keep, keep going in this comparison. Paul would later write to the Corinthians. So whether we are at home, at home in the body, this mortal body, or away uh, by death, we make it our aim to please him. This is his direction. This is his desire. This is his aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, trying to believers here, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Hear me, hear me. 
Every day matters. Every day matters. Everything you do today matters for eternity. And the challenge from Peter, the challenge from Paul, was to live this day. This is the only day that you've been given. This day, live this day in light of that day. In light of that day when you'll be standing before the King of kings and Lord of lords. When you'll be giving an account for everything that you did with your one and only life. Because everything you and I do today matters for eternity. Said another way, your choices on earth have direct consequences on your life in eternity. So sometimes we have the mistaken notion, I, 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 you know, I prayed a prayer, I, I made this profession of faith, I'm in, I'm good. Uh, it's kind of like nothing matters after that. No, 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 no. Everything matters. Everything matters. Every day matters in light of that day. See, what we believe determines our destination. What I have or haven't done with Jesus Christ Have I recognized who he is and what he's done? Have I placed my faith and trust not in myself, not in my morality, not even in my religion, not certainly not in my good deeds, but but in the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ, the one who lived the life I should have lived, died the death I deserved to die. What I believe about who Jesus is, how I respond to him, determines my destination. Everybody's going to live forever somewhere. Let's sit with that a moment. Everybody's going to live forever somewhere. It's either going to be in God's presence by God's saving grace through Jesus Christ or it's going to be separated from God's love, God's goodness, God's grace in a very real place called hell. What we believe determines our destination. But that's not all the New Testament says. We are saved by grace, not as a result of work, so that no one can boast. But on that foundation we build. And how we behave determines our compensation. The Bible talks about rewards. We're wired that way. It talks about, well done, good and faithful servant. It matters what I do, right? It matters what I do with my one and only life. Well done. Not well thought. Not well taught even. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter him to that reward. How we behave determines our compensation. Put these two together. Focusing on forever, remembering my accountability. One of the things that kind of goes along with serving in the capacity that I do and some other staff do in the local church is that you get to be a part of a lot of funerals. Okay? And I can't say that's like the, the highlight of the week or anything, but, but there is a sacred responsibility in that. And what you notice if you've walked alongside enough families is not everybody approaches that the same way. There is, I'm going to tell you, there's a radical, radical difference between those who know and have walked with and served Jesus Christ all the days of their life and those who have not. 
is radically different. And funerals do a lot of things. But there's another thing that I've noticed. That funerals, particularly if it's someone close to us, or if it's someone about our own age, right? It confronts us with our mortality. It makes us realize what the psalmist said. It goes by. It goes by. And that this life, even if our run is 70, 80, 90, 100 plus years, it goes by. And this life is preparation for eternity. And what I do with this life, both in my belief and my behavior, has eternal consequences. And when I remember my accountability, it helps fuel a life of distinction, a life of difference, a life set apart to God. Focus on forever. Remembering my accountability. I choose to be different by appreciating my redemption. Appreciating my redemption. Let's, let, let's look at the several verses here. Let me just uh, read them, invite you to follow along. Uh, right there in verse 18, we'll pick up. Knowing. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him a glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's skip down to verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Remembering my accountability, but also appreciating my redemption, appreciating what God has done for me. In those the opening verses that we just read, uh, in verse 18, he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. The ransom or redeem is to be set free by paying a price. That there is a price that is paid to set me free. It would have been used of, of a prisoner of war, particularly a a high-ranking official that may have been captured in war, they, they could have been set free for a price. So a price would have been paid to set that prisoner free. It was used of a slave who had been uh, sold into slavery, and that, that slave could be set free from their slavery if somebody paid the ransom price, if somebody redeemed them, paid the paid the price of redemption. Drawing on those pictures, Peter says, you and I have been redeemed. A ransom has been paid. We are, have been set free. No longer do you have to live as a prisoner of your sin. No longer do you have to live as a slave to sin because you have been set free. Someone has paid the price, and the price that was paid was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. While in a prisoner exchange, while in setting 
setting a slave free, silver or gold may have done the trick. In this case, it was not sufficient. Uh, But with the precious, verse 19, not with perishable things as silver and gold, verse 18, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. This Christ, this sacrifice that was made manifest even in their lifetime. Thomas Watson put it this way, great was the work of creation, but greater the work of redemption. It cost more to redeem us than to make us. Think about that. In one, there was but the speaking of a word. In the other, the shedding of blood. Now listen, creation is awesome. Oh my goodness. I mean, did you just read the other week where just uh, through some of the telescopes and stuff and through uh, kind of manipulating some things, got to see a star they'd never seen before, light from a star. It's like the furthest star I've ever been able to see. It's like the more we know, the more awesome this creation becomes, right? I mean, this wow. God did all of that with the speaking of a word. Let there be light. But my redemption, my rescue, my ransom cost him so much more. Cost the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He who gave up the glories of heaven to come and live the life that I should have lived and died the death I deserved to die so that he could set me free. And when I understand that, the more I I, I grasp that. That's why I preach the gospel to yourself every day because the more you understand, the more you love that, the more you appreciate that, the more it empowers you and motivates you to live the life that God designed you for. Several years ago, there was a young uh, lady by the name of Frances, and she saw a picture of the crucified Christ, and under that picture was this caption, I did this for thee, what hast thou done for me? Quickly, she returned home and wrote a poem. She was dissatisfied with kind of the results of it, and so she threw the paper into the fire, but instead of catching on the flame, it hit and bounced back out. Her father took it up and encouraged her to seek to publish it. It was eventually set to music, and we still sing those words today. I gave, (laughs) I gave, my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou might ransomed be and quickened from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee, what hast thou given for me? That's what it begins to look like to appreciate my redemption, that I marvel at the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I marvel that I have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but imperishable. I marvel that that word, that alive, quickening word has come to me. 
and an appreciation for my redemption. It fuels, it fuels a life of distinction, a life of holiness, a life of meaning, a life of contribution along the way. I focus on forever. Oh, I remember my accountability, but I do all that against that incredible backdrop of just marvelous, marvelous grace, appreciating my redemption. And if as part of appreciating my redemption, I ex- express heartfelt love. I am expressing heartfelt love. Back up to verse 22. In the context of talking about this incredible redemption, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. As we begin to walk in holiness as we we purify our souls, as we walk in obedience to the truth. One of the most powerful expressions of that is a heartfelt, earnest love. Hear me, Christian love is not a matter of feeling. Feelings are come and go, and feelings are there, and they're great, but at its core, it's a matter of the will. It's a matter of the will. Christ didn't command feelings. He commanded choices. He commanded actions. He commanded love. But that love was not, I want you to have warm, loving feelings toward everyone. No, it was to, is to act in love, is to express love. He uses the word earnestly here, that we are sincere, brotherly, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Earnestly is the picture of stretching something to the limit so that there's a stretching. And let's be real here for a moment, right? Not everybody is easy to love, huh? Right? Or am I the only one? <laughs> I mean, there are folks that God has placed in your life. Some of them live in your neighborhood. Some of them you work with. Some of them occupy a branch on your family tree. They're a challenge to love. They are EGR people, right? Extra grace required. Don't feel bad. There's some people who feel the same way about you, right? They do. But that's the love. The love that stretches our limits. That Christ calls us to. A love that, that is fueled by His love for us. Jesus put it very succinctly. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What does it look like to live distinctly in a world? It is to be men and women of radical love, right? For the Hebrews says, let brotherly love continue. Let it be the ongoing theme of your life. Let it be the ongoing practice of your life. The, the, the world in which Peter was writing to, that they were persecuting Christians. They were, they were opposed. They, they didn't understand their theology and their belief system. But one of the things that they would come back to and even the pagan writers would write about and they would marvel at the way that these people loved 
the way that they loved each other, the way that they loved the least and the lost. Could it be that we've lost some of that in our North American Christianity? Could it be that we have thought that if we just had the right programs, if we just had the right lights and sounds and charismatic personalities, or if we just got the right people elected to office, then, then we could begin to straighten out the chaos. Then we could begin to restore some order. Could it be that God's ways still haven't changed? That it's not by charisma or programming or political power, but it's by expressing sincere, heartfelt, earnest, limit-stretching love to the least and the lost, that that is what will make a difference in the world. That is what will make us distinctive in the world. Came across a, a quote a while back, and sometimes I just come across some things reading and writing I just need to sit with for a while. And I've been sitting with this one for a while for me because I think it speaks into leadership, but I think it speaks into interpersonal relationships. Here's the question. Am I making this decision out of a desire to be loved or to be loving? Let me say that again. Am I making this decision on a leadership level? Am I making this decision on an interpersonal level? Am I making this decision to be loved or in order to be loving? Because those sometimes are radically, radically different things. If I make decisions out of a need to be loved, I won't press into hard issues. I won't make tough calls. I may not speak the truth in love. I'll try to keep the peace, keep calm. Well, can't we all just get along, right? But if I make decisions to be loving, Sometimes I'll lean in when I want to lean out. Sometimes I'll raise a tough subject, hopefully with a spirit of gentleness, hopefully by asking a lot of questions. But I'll lean in. I'll speak the truth in love. Sometimes I'll make a decision that'll be hard, that'll be unpopular, that'll be not well-received. But if I'm doing that to be loved, I'm not going to make that call. But if I'm doing it to be loving, then I may make a hard decision. Parenting has tons of those, right? Am I going to make a decision to be loved or to be loving? What the gospel says to us is that you are already loved. 
You are already loved and accepted in Jesus Christ. And when you know you are loved and accepted in Jesus Christ, you appreciate that love. You appreciate that redemption. And it sets you free to express heartfelt love, to make decisions, to do things that are loving, even if in the short term they don't necessarily make you feel loved, right? Because you know you're operating from a base that says, I am already loved, I am already accepted in Jesus Christ. Expressing heartfelt love. But there's one other thing that Peter gives us in this section of this letter that fuels a life of holiness and distinction. And that is drinking deeply from God's Word. Drinking deeply from God's Word. We already read a couple of these verses, but let's go back to get the context. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. What is it that helps fuel and direct a life of holiness, a life of distinction? It's when I drink deeply from God's Word. This Word that isn't just a a phase or a fad that's going to be here today and and, and go viral for a a few moments and then be gone. No, no, no. It is that which remains forever. It is that good news which can set us free. And like a newborn craving milk, we are to to crave the nourishment, crave the life-giving sustenance of the Word of God. Again, let's, let's take Paul's words and, and lay them alongside Peter's. All Scripture, Paul wrote to Timothy, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Everything that God purposes you and I to do, the life of distinction, the life of holiness, the life of purpose and power that God has for me, it comes fueled when I drink deeply from God's Word. It equips me to live the life that He has called me to live. I hold out very little hope for a life of holiness and distinction apart from drinking deeply from God's Word. And can I just remind you what we say again and again and again? That's not just on Sunday morning. Very few of us eat one physical meal a week, right? (laughs) Some of us would declare it a very poor day if we only got one meal a day, right? And such is our hunger for the Word of God. Hear it being taught, absolutely. Read it. Study it. 
memorize it, meditate upon it, apply it. They'll just read it, not just information that passes through our minds, but how, how can I live this out, God, by your enabling spirit? How can I put this into practice along the way? And when I begin to build those rhythms in my life, I begin to drink deeply from God's word. And as I drink deeply from God's word, I begin to live more and more and more a life of distinction. So let me try to pull these together. Five things that Peter mentioned just in this small section of this small letter that help to, to, to fuel the desire and the, the capacity, the ability to live a life of distinction, to be holy even as he is holy. But this pursuit of holiness is a joint venture. It's a joint venture. It always is a joint venture between ourselves and God, between God and and an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. And perhaps there are many ways to, to, to think about that, but one of my favorites is, is an agricultural one, and it would seem to be one that Jesus would have talked about. Some of you maybe grew up in farming lands. This is the time of the year, is the spring. You start getting past tax season in many parts of the, of the country. You begin to, to plant. And what a farmer knows is if they, just, if they just sit there on their front porch and watch the fields, not much is going to happen, right? Or not much good. No, they, they have, to, they have to, to, to cultivate the soil. They have to prepare the soil. They have to plow the field and sow the seed and fertilize and cultivate all along the way. They recognize if they don't engage in those activities, there's not going to be very much harvest, right? But they also realize that they do all of that independence. Independence that they can't control the weather. If a severe drought comes, even our best irrigation falters. Let a tornado or a hailstorm or an unexpected freeze come through at the wrong time and the crop is destroyed. Let floodwaters cover before harvest and there's no benefit. He can plant and fertilize and water all those things, but can't cause that seed to grow. It's dependent upon the life-giving that only God can give. And in much the same way, our pursuit of holiness is this joint venture. Yes, we are to read and study and memorize and meditate and apply the Word of God. Yes, we are to, to gather with God's people. Yes, we are to, to, to meditate and preach the gospel to ourselves. Yes, we are to, to choose to act in love. All of those things, but no one can attain any degree of holiness without God working in our lives. And just as surely, no one will attain it without effort on their own part. God has given us the responsibility and the possibility of living a life of holiness, but he doesn't do it all for us. He invites us into the journey. Paul captured it so well in Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God, you work out knowing, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Oh, hear me. God has called you and I to live a life of distinction, to be set apart, different, holy, even as He is holy. And he is at work in the life of every true believer, every true follower of Christ, both to create the desire and the capacity to do that. But you and I have to work out what he is placed in. And we do that with every choice we make, with every thought we think, with every direction we begin to walk. Because everything that we do now matters not only for the moment, but it matters for all eternity. One last verse. It's one that continually challenges me whenever I read it. Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given, much will be required. When I think about that, when I think about this call to live a life of distinction and holiness, I think, oh God, we have been given so, so much, haven't we? So much opportunity, so much freedom. We have unprecedented access to your word and all sorts of resources to help us understand it and unpack it. We have, have education, we have money, we have time, we have the capacity to travel, we have all of these things. To whom much is given, much is required. Could it be that God has placed you and I in this time, in this place in history, purposely and strategically, and he has entrusted us with so, so much? He says, I expect, I expect you to live a life of distinction, a life of holiness, a life that is different a life that brings honor and glory to him and brings about his best and his blessing in my life and in the lives of those around me. Be holy, for he who called you is holy. Let's go before him together in prayer. Oh, Father, thank you that you are at work in our lives. You haven't given up on us. You continue that good work that you have begun in us. And Lord, I pray today, Lord, that Lord, you would just anew and afresh remind us of who we are and who we are called to be in Christ Jesus. And Father, that today you would stretch us, today you would challenge us, today you would encourage us, today you would meet us anew and afresh and and call us from captivity, call us from slavery, call us from, from getting so caught up in the mundane. Father, call us to lives that honor you, that bring about your best and your blessing. Father, call us to be men and women of holiness. Father, help us to choose, to choose those things that Peter so clearly outlines that will fuel 
and will direct a life of holiness unto you. And I'm just going to invite you to take just a few moments more to sit before the Lord.